Welcome to Innovating Leadership, co-creating our future. I'm your host, Maureen Metcalf, founder and CEO of the Innovative Leadership Institute. I am delighted to have on the show today, Brenda Hempel and Erica Lamont. Erica and Brenda are co-managing directors and co-founders of Connect the Dots Consulting. Today, we're gonna be talking about onboarding and the idea that sink or swim is not a strategy for onboarding new leaders. Brenda and Erica, welcome to the show. Thank you, Maureen. We're pretty passionate about this. As a matter of fact, we founded our business on this. Let's jump into what is leader onboarding and why should companies care and why should leaders care? There continues to be a strong and compelling business case. There are some pretty scary statistics that tell us that more than 40% of new leaders fail within the first 18 months on the job. So when we think about the cost of bringing in a new leader, and or the amount of investment that an organization has put into an existing leader who they've recently promoted or moved to a different business unit, whatever it might be, and then don't provide them with some structured approach for helping them make that transition. They're likely to not realize the potential that that individual had. They're likely to feel like we really didn't hit it. And the individual feels that way as well. So that business case is really strong. And you pit that against more. And you can imagine you work with leaders all the time. You have these seasoned leaders who think that they know what to do. And they think they can just come in and hit the ground running. And then there's expectations on the organizational side, too, that, oh, this person is seasoned, experienced. They just need to come in and do it. And that's really kind of a recipe for disaster, honestly. And and that's what we find because cultural fit is so important at the leadership level. Not only may the leader leave, but in the tenure that they are there floundering, they may cause other people to leave. They're not getting the work done people working for them diminish in their productivity. So it's not just a replacement cost. It's a loss of productivity across the board if, in fact, they're struggling. And it already takes a long time, even for a seasoned leader, to really come to the level of productivity that their predecessor who knew the company already had. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things that's important for organizations to realize, too, is that honestly, if the leader leaves, that's less expensive and has less of a negative impact than if they stay and are kind of in place and not realizing that potential and also having a negative impact on the team and the outcomes that he or she was expected. You know, when we talk about what is leadership onboarding, It is that structured and purposeful approach to engaging a leader as he or she is coming into an organization. So new organization, new position, as well as that internal promotion or move that he or she is making in. We look at it typically from a a leadership perspective that it's six to 12 months, depending on the organization and how they define how long someone's new. That's one of the first questions that we ask is, how long do you consider leaders new? And if it's a more mature organization with a more mature business model, then you could be new up to two years or so. For many leaders coming in new, that's kind of mind-blowing, like, oh my gosh, you know, I have to prove myself for two years before I'm considered to be part of the leadership team and part of the club, if you will. If it's more of, you know, a younger organization or perhaps the organization has introduced a business model, has new leadership, et cetera, you may only be new until that next EVP is hired behind you. 
again, it really is specific to organizations and what their culture is like and what their tolerance is for people getting up to speed. You said many leaders join a new organization. And if it's the first time you've changed jobs in a fairly senior leadership role, you've been told that you're in charge, you know what you're doing, and you did at the last organization after they made their transition. They are shocked at feeling like they were successful and how not knowing the culture really impacted. For sure. We start with, you know, our philosophy, maybe it'd be helpful to to do that to ground us in our philosophy that onboarding really has three important components. So gaining knowledge, knowledge about the culture, knowledge about your role, knowledge about your team, building those important relationships. You know, who are your stakeholders? Who are your peers? How do you manage your boss? How do you get to know your boss? And then getting feedback. So some organizations do a really good job of loading up on the knowledge piece or maybe emphasizing the relationship piece. And then, you know, they talk about people after the meeting or in the corners or on the side and and they don't know. So one particular leader I'm thinking of came in with with sort of a mandate, you know, understood that he was going to fix things and, and really shore this up and underestimated the cultural impact and the relationships, really more of his peer group. I think he managed the boss pretty well, but that peer group who's watching and evaluating you and, you know, you need them to execute your vision is really important. So we really help leaders take a step back and, you know, ideally we get to work with leaders in the pre-start mode. So when they've accepted the job, but maybe haven't actually hit the door yet, and that's a luxury, honestly. A lot of times they're already in when we start to work with them, but we help them pull back and say, all right, what is it that you need to know? Who are the people you need to build relationships with? And how are we going to get you some feedback? So we meet them where they are. We create a plan that addresses those big buckets, knowledge, relationships, and feedback, sort of a gap analysis. And then we work with the manager. We talk to the manager. We talk to the HR partner. We talk about what are some of the things that were learned in the recruiting process you maybe have questions about that we can build in. And we really structure it so our conversations are targeted in those three areas. So this one particular leader I'm thinking about, you know, by the time we got to the feedback, he was at risk, but we were able to launch the survey, get some data and then have a real conversation at about the three-month mark that really changed the trajectory of his onboarding. And he started to really understand the impact of his behavior. And then he was able to have a conversation with his boss about how to make changes of things that were being perceived, you know, not in the way he intended, but was causing disruption in the organization. One of the things you do, and you mentioned it, is an assessment that is specifically focused on onboarding. So this isn't, I take my Myers-Briggs with me. It is specifically, how am I performing in this new role in the first few months? Many organizations, I think, are a little too polite. And so they don't give the person feedback when they need it. Then they come back later, they get the feedback, but they're now in recovery mode. And if you've got a three-month history with someone and all three months have been bad, They're not inclined to give you the grace they would had you been here for three years. Absolutely, Maureen. So the proprietary tool that you mentioned is called Are You Connected? So we developed Are You Connected very specifically to surface feedback and perceptions in that very early time period. Some organizations are, gosh, you know, we don't know enough to get feedback at the three-month mark. However, to your point, yes, you do, because you're already talking about that person, right? You already have some level of perception that says, gosh, you know what? When Erica was in that meeting, doesn't she understand that we always show up two minutes early before our meetings? 
Doesn't she understand that when the CFO is talking, you don't interrupt, you wait until he, you know, gives you the nod. Um, so, you know, all of those small norms that every organization has and that it's pretty impossible to know until you experience it. All of those little things are happening in the organization and everyone else around that conference table or anybody else moving from, you know, this meeting, that meeting is observing the new person to determine, is this person a fit? Is she one of us? Is she talking too much about her previous company? And, you know, when I was here, we did X. When I was there, we did Y. Typically, that's okay for, you know, the first couple of weeks. But if you're talking about that company still at month three and four, then people are wondering, well, why don't you just go back there? So the Are You Connected survey is 20-some questions. So we are very specific from the standpoint of we don't want it to be too long because we want a high level of participation, which maintains to be high over the time that we've used it. And is really focused, as you said, as, as Erica pointed to, that this is about those early perceptions. How do I see this person sitting in? Do I see this person caring about our culture, asking questions where he or she is going to be able to understand what those cultural norms are, how we make decisions? Do I see her engaging in her team in such a way that's going to help build that team and perhaps turn it around? Do I see this person focus more on their own agenda versus our agenda? The peer group. When you think about it in an organization, your peer group are the individuals who you're competing with, resources, time of your boss, promotional opportunities. So that particular group is critical, obviously, for that group to work really well. We typically can't be successful without effective peer relationships. So it's an opportunity for that peer group to provide some feedback where they may not have a natural entry point to have those kinds of discussions with the new person. Honestly, one of the reasons that we developed this tool is to provide the boss with a structured way to get feedback. Because think about the boss, too, having brought this person in. Generally speaking, that's not 100% of the case, but 90 plus percent of the time, the hiring manager, the boss, has made a decision on bringing this talent. And if the talent isn't doing well, that's a reflection on that boss. So it can be difficult for the boss to suggest that maybe this person who I'm touted and, you know, spent a lot of time and energy and money bringing in, maybe they're not the right person. How do I address that? So the RE Connected survey provides that structured way and with our support, with the coach's support, is able to effectively have that conversation and then get the result that you're pointed to. Once you get that feedback, we can turn things back around, shore up the things that are going well, and also says to the boss, this is what I can be doing to help this person be more successful. Yeah, you're right, Maureen. I think the timing of it is particularly important. Um, and if your experience is really bad, but we do feel like there's a sweet spot. If you can intervene in that first six months, we do find that people give people a pass, right? And, and if they see that they're responding and, and really uh, lean into the feedback, we do see that it go, if it goes much farther, though, you're right. People are, they're writing them off then. You know, if you get to that year mm -hmm. and they haven't addressed it, it's really, really difficult. I can think of one gentleman, 
I had a, just a quick story. You know, he came into the organization and he was really struggling with his boss and they couldn't connect. And he was struggling. He kept thinking, what am I doing wrong? You know, what is this barrier? And once they had the report in front of them, just the fact that they had a structured an appointment to talk about it, they got into some of the things, that, you know, in any other environment when they're just talking about normal business stuff, they couldn't get to. Both of them came out, you know, and told me separately, like that was the most impactful meeting I've ever had with my boss about this. And they were able to kind of move past the perceptions that they both had in their brains because they had a real conversation. So the tool surfaces that and it gives an opportunity. And you mentioned with peers as well, if as a peer, I see someone is failing in some organizations, it's not my job to help. Exactly. Right. I just say, boy, that's really unfortunate or that person is a bad choice. Having the opportunity and the mechanism to give feedback so that this person can course correct insufficient time to recover the relationships. And when the peers giving the feedback see the shift, then they are more inclined to step in and help than just writing them off as a bit of a jerk. That's right. What organizations don't do typically is prepare the organization for the new leader. All the energy is on the new leader, but how, what do we do for the organization? How do we talk about the team? You know, how do we get the team ready? How do we get the other departments? How do we get the peer group ready? The manager has a tendency to like hire and forget. Like, okay, done, got the person, let's move. And forgets that, you know, there's some important tilling the ground or getting the soil ready, you know, for that person to come and be planted into the organization. So when you bring in an onboarding coach who knows all that stuff, we're helping the boss prep for the person to come in and then working directly with the new leader. So it creates this circle of support that we know is really needed in those first months on the job. I want to amplify one thing. So for coaches and executives who've been in the space that, okay, we do assessments. Again, we do a 360. We do a whatever personality type thing. This is a unique assessment for specifically this purpose. You can't repurpose the 360 to get to these specific points. As someone who said, like, why do I want to do another assessment? We've got plenty. Yeah. The answer is, yeah, really one more because it specifically focuses on this and it doesn't give us false indicators that a traditional 360 might give me. So if I give this new leader a traditional 360, people who don't know them well are going to score them in the middle. It looks like they're doing fine. Yeah. In fact, they may be derailing on some really important points, the crucial points of how are they building relationships in this culture. That's absolutely right, Maureen. This is unique and design very specifically to surface onboarding feedback. We work hard with our client organizations and also with other coaches to understand not only the difference of the questions and the purpose of the survey, but also how you debrief the feedback because it is different. You're in a different space. The new leader is in a different space. The boss is in a different space. The other piece I want to add, and I know I'm responding to all the things that have gone through my head at, at a point where a client says, well, can't you just do this? And my initial response is, of course I can. I'm smart. I can help people. But the truth is no go to an onboarding expert. So can't you just come up with your own? But you've done this with thousands of people. Your survey is validated. It's not the same as I just came up with six questions, threw them on SurveyMonkey, 
and had people answer them. Agreed. And, you know, honestly, we've had some clients, I can think of one in particular that said we can't afford and we don't necessarily have the bandwidth to do the whole thing. So we do just sometimes work with them on the survey and the results because that's better than nothing. And again, that feedback component is so often overlooked or the formal feedback, I should say, is so often overlooked in a leadership onboarding experience that even adding that today can be something Mm -hmm. that could turn it around for you and your organization. So if you just even added that piece, it's that powerful. What's cool about it is, you know, sometimes we'd start with the survey and then people go, oh, now I get it. Now I get how coaching could have even (laughs) given me more. I think Brenda had a position leader that kind of had that experience. So it can be sort of a, a starting point as well, but we would advocate that it's part of a larger experience for sure it's a unique time, right? It's a time and place for a person. It's after the recruiting and before they're really integrated. So, you know, we think really leveraging that time can be such a springboard for leaders and the whole organization. Maureen, when you mentioned that, you know, you could throw a few questions up on SurveyMonkey, it might still be beneficial or even one piece. It, it could also set you back a little bit because if you ask the wrong types of questions or you're only focused on process, like, yes, I met with my manager, don't get to the part of, well, what's that relationship like? And are you getting what you need from that person? Then, you know, if there's kind of that check mark that says we did it, you know, we gather feedback, it actually could set them back a little bit and put a barrier in place that doesn't really allow for the dialogue and the learning that we've described. And then you can imagine the data they have. If you're using the survey for all of your leaders, let's say, at VP and above or director and above, you start to collect extremely valuable data that allows you then to surface information about, okay, gosh, how are we then recruiting correctly or incorrectly? Where are those ties back to some of the other components of the broader talent management cycle? Um, where might we want to get them connected with this information about our organization? Maybe we're assuming everybody knows that and we're binding through this data that they don't. So it, it starts to build that, uh, again, kind of community as well as data points that allow you to be even more effective. I love that it can be built into the overall process so that it allows you to recruit better and onboard better. I want to go to something that we don't often talk about, helping onboard leaders who are also relocating. We've now pulled them away from their support system. They often have a trailing spouse. They've got kids. It's hard enough to learn a new job at a senior level. It's really hard when you've got a spouse who may not be delighted about relocating. Often the derailing for people relocating can be the family. We should talk about the beginnings of our work, Brenda. Yeah. He's given us the opportunity to kind of go back to the beginning, Maureen, and one of the key reasons that we formed our work around leadership onboarding is because of a large specialty retail organization. More than 50% of their director and above population was turning over. And about 40% of those who were turning over, it was because of lack of personal successful transition. So their personal transition wasn't doing well. And this is an organization that recruited from the coast to the middle of the, the country which of course is much different than either of the coast. Uh, the coast is where the talent was. So it was a little bit of a challenging sell at times and was also quite expensive. So the organization was like, gosh, there's, you know, there's something happening with this population. What can we do about that? 
So the personal transition was the issue in many of these cases because the new leaders were enjoying their jobs and, you know, finding satisfaction in their work and things were coming together so that knowledge, as time goes by and knowledge build, we measure that trajectory. We also measure the emotional. We're finding that, you know, the emotional component of that was very much a roller coaster and up and down. The new leaders would come home and their significant other and their kids were saying, I hate you. Can't we please go back to California or back to Connecticut or wherever it, it may have been? And that breaking point came where that voice of I'm not happy here and I can't talk to anybody at work about that. What am I supposed to do about that became such that it wasn't worth it for that leader to continue. So when that organization put a heavy emphasis on personal transition and built tools and ways for that to be surfaced and also for the managers, HR partners, and even peers to help support that and create more of a supportive community around the transition and recognizing it wasn't just about the work. It makes it okay to talk about it, right? In an onboarding situation, we purposely always as part of our process build in the personal transition like on the plan. Like that's that's a talking point. That's an agenda item. And we make it safe and we probe, you know, how is it going with your family? How is it? You know, are you finding daycare? Are you, how are the schools? You know, do you need help connecting to the community? What relationships can you leverage internally in your job to help connect you to the community? One woman that I was working with, you know, she transferred literally, as Brenda said, from L.A., California, to Columbus, Ohio. And if you know your geography, you know, we don't have any big water in Ohio. She said to me, well, what do you do on the weekends? And I said, well, what do you normally do on the weekends? And she said, play volleyball on the beach. I'm like, oh, okay, well, that's going to be hard because we don't have a beach here. So how else can I get you connected to? And we found some other things. So asking questions that seem sort of not related to work but can, as you point out, be super impactful to their overall wellness and success in this new role. So it's a very real part of the process. And again, we we probably work more with on the organization side to make it okay to talk about it and, and then help the leader ask for help and know where to go. What we're learning now, especially in the resilience research, is a strong connection network is crucial, right? While staying connected to our friends in the old place is helpful, it's also hard because they're all talking about, we played volleyball on the beach this weekend. What did you do? That just makes it harder. Like, so how do we help people transition in to navigate new community still, but also have that ongoing support with my family of origin who may be back in the old place. Yeah. As with everything, COVID shifted the dynamics. There have been positive impacts. This whole understanding that the whole person is important. We bring our whole person to work. So it is easier to talk about. It's more expected to talk about it. That doesn't mean that all leaders know how to do it effectively, but that's part of a structured onboarding is to provide those leaders with tools. So again, it's okay and it's important to talk about those things. And there is a higher level of expectation. When we were almost 100% virtual for those that that could be, it's very difficult onboarding new talent, regardless of the level. But at the executive level, you you didn't have that kind of put your hands on it and understand what the, you know, the building is like, the moving from day in, day out to different meetings or to different business units that might be in fields or go to dealers or whatever the situation might be, none of that was happening. But people are coming out of that with very different types of relationships with 
their colleagues or even their boss that they had than they had pre-pandemic. So now we're at this point of trying to figure out what exactly is the right thing to do, or we're supposed to be in the office three days a week, two days a week. What's that, you know, appropriate balance for each organization, for each business unit? All of those dynamics are, are coming into play. So the owners of onboarding, if it's an organization that has kind of a more of a central owner, has needed to revolve with that. And we've supported that throughout the last three years with what might that look like even more customized than it was before because of how each different type of industry and organization and even part of the country has needed to adapt. So we've been uh, very roll up your sleeves. Let's see what this looks like for all of you. Still with those pillars of knowledge, relationships, and feedback, but how do we make that come alive and how do we keep it relevant in your organization at this point in time? One of the questions I encourage the people I work with is to ask questions about their COVID response and how they responded and what did they do and how, you know, because that's going to give you so much information. If you weren't there during COVID and now you're hired, you need some background about that, especially if you're you're managing a team that is dispersed geographically, because at least the clients Brenda and I are working with, people are still... <laughs> that's a big deal. They're still trying to figure it out. And, you know, are we here two days a week or three days a week? And which day do we pick? And if you're new and you're coming in to try and figure all that out, I think it would be helpful to, to get some context. In some cases, companies are fully remote. They're going to be fully remote. It's different than it was when we were all just grabbing lunch together. Yeah, it has to be purposeful. And typically, if we were used to that former model, right, of being physically present, it is a pretty significant transition. It, it reminds me of I'm going to plan to be spontaneous now, right? <laughs> it has to be, as Eric said, purposeful. So we work with our client organizations down to the leader and, you know, sometimes more within the HR structure to say, how do you create those spontaneous types of, of interactions, as well as the larger global organizations have made some decisions that they had to backtrack on, or they had to be like, oh, shoot, now we actually have to explain what that means. So we've worked with some of those types of organizations, too, that's been very public. So it's been in the Wall Street Journal. It's been in the New York Times. It's been on Good Morning America of what their response to, you know, return to work or whatever you know term they're using. So what does that mean for new leaders or leaders who are moving from this role to that role in these organizations? And they're needing to deal with a lot of emotion from their team. At least a portion of that, if not even most of them, they've never been in person. So again, if he's got a leader who's in a transition, ensure that you're taking that step back and building a purposeful strategy and approach to that. And also, we find it's very important to give them talking points. Eric and I spent a lot of time helping leaders message in a way that's consistent with their intentions, with their stages. And as they're in transition, they need to be asking questions. So similar to as Erica said, you know, as a question about, you know, what was it like here during COVID, if I can feel about how we came out of it, et cetera. Using open-ended questions when you're in that transition mode is so critical because you don't want people to feel like you're just assuming you know. You're assuming that you get it and all you're worried about are, you know, kind of the data points or the facts or, or the deliverables. Asking those open-ended questions is always important, but we found in our work uh, with transitioning and onboarding leaders even more important. 
it sounds like one of your three pillars is relationships, that there's a heavy focus on yes. building the relationship, which means asking questions, not telling. Absolutely. I mean, you know, this too, Maureen, from your work, the higher you get in your organization, the less dependent you are on what you know, and the more dependent you are on how you work with others, right? And how you get others to perform. So for some of our technical leaders, that's a place we put a lot of emphasis. That's great that you are a neurosurgeon who now has a huge you know, department, but now we got to really think about the people and they haven't necessarily thought about it that way. You know, they're, they're thinking about the work, they're thinking about like the deliverables, success is so much dependent on those successful relationships. If I've spent 12 years in college learning a skill, and then I am de-emphasizing that and emphasizing something that didn't require me 12 years in college, it may not feel like I'm adding my best value. And in the leader development side, right. they don't continue to necessarily update their leadership skills that translates to onboarding. If I was an exceptional surgeon, I'm now leading a surgery department. Yeah. I really need to build that leadership piece. Onboarding is certainly the start of that. So the knowledge is more the culture and the systems and the leadership piece than it is surgery knowledge. Exactly. You know, a lot of leaders think like, I don't want to expose the fact that I'm not competent in those skills. So again, onboarding creates a kind of a bubble around them and gives them some safe place to talk. As Brenda said, you know, we, we go to the level of talking points sometimes just so that they can understand what's different. Yeah. So I assume your talking points are very culturally tailored. So they may want to say X, but in this environment, this is how you say it. Yes. And one of the exercises that we use with, with leadership onboarding is to help them really understand the difference by going through an exercise and ask them to define what did success mean in your previous job? How are you evaluated on from yourself and from the organization, the institution, whatever it may have been? What defines success for you? Okay. Now let's think about how is success defined for you in this new role, in this new environment? So that takes into account the cultural components that you spoke to, the how I do it, the how I connect with people, the how I claim a success for myself or for my team, whatever it might be, as well as the what. And I have found that that exercise can really help provide that new leader with a different perspective than he or she had, because typically we go into these situations, okay, I was hired for all these awesome things that I did previously. And the organization wants me to do those same things in this new organization. However, they also want me to figure out the culture, what the behavioral norms are, how to interact with people. Nobody's telling me that stuff. So then I find out that people are ticked off at me because I did it the wrong way. So again, that's part of that business case of, my gosh, you know, give these leaders a level of support through a structured onboarding experience and, and coaching that's going to help them get those things faster. You know, we know from Michael Watkins' work, if you have a structured onboarding process, you're going to uh, allow that person to get up to speed and start recouping your return on their investment somewhere between 17 and 25% faster than if they didn't have that structured onboarding support. 17 to 25% faster. Yes. Yep. That curve, right? Where the, the what you've invested and in now starts to meet and exceed uh, what is being delivered. Yeah. That means everyone underneath that person is doing 25% or whatever percent more work 
until that person gets up to speed. Mm -hmm. And they're tired and they're not getting part of that person's salary. We're just expecting them to work harder. Yep. Yeah. So the quicker I get that person up to speed, the quicker everyone is able to return to their already overworked selves. What we want to try to avoid is people saying, oh, great, I have to train another boss right? There's a partnership there. Yes, there's some things that you'll contribute, but you know, you, you know, people do, they feel dumped on if they're not included in the process. So like as I said before, getting the organization ready for the new person and giving people, here's what we expect. You're familiar with this, the general electric model of the new leader, they call it the new leader assimilation. That's another tool that we've used before to get the team together early and say, what do you want to know about Brenda? I know you've heard of, you know, during the interview process, what do you want to know? What questions do you have? What advice advice do you have for them? So getting the team engaged early in something like that can also help avert some of the burnout or the feelings like, oh gosh, here we go again. Or if there've been a few people, that's the other, if they've had a few people turn in that role, that can be really frustrating. So again, you know, early intervention, for lack of a better word, is is really powerful and, and important to stave off some of that stuff. I love the idea that you would get from the new team, the advice. So I'm the new person. I show up on day one. I meet with you and you say, hey, this is what the team really wants. This is their advice for what will make you successful. Don't talk about your old job. Yeah. Don't act like you know everything. Ask us questions. We're a very collaborative culture. Don't tell us what to do, especially since you're new and we know you don't know what to do. <laughs> right. We've actually done that. <laughs> So let's ask a couple questions to draw distinctions. What's the difference between a leader development coach or a life coach and an onboarding coach? In onboarding coaching, that person's probably coming in, as you said, either known as a high performer or came from a great institution or, you know, their NIH funding, if they were a researcher, and so those things are known. However, the person isn't really known that well yet in most situations. So as an onboarding coach, our opportunities with leader is to help them be purposeful about establishing themselves in the organization, taking in all those different factors that we've talked about, taking in, you know, what's the culture and wanting to have their focus on learning the culture, shaping the job, you know, because we're, we're talking about leaders. So generally speaking, there's an opportunity to further define what it means to be an EVP of operations at an X organization. Certainly there's a core component that says you need to do these things, but you also have that opportunity to help define what that might mean in that organization. So we can work with them and their key stakeholders to help them really take advantage of this very unique point in time that you never get back to establish who they are in a very genuine way, again, true to themselves, but also mapping on to what that organization is and what that organization needs. We're on that front end as the coach with that individual establishing who they are in the organization. And, you know, we know, Maureen, that organizations also are impatient for results, right? So that's a common organizational pressure. Okay, you're in, now do. However, as Brenda said, you can't just jump in as a leader until you understand all those things so that you create change that is meaningful. So we help them balance that 
they're learning and they're doing. They're been, and so as, as Brenda's talking about, you know, establishing their brand, we're also helping them figure out what early wins can I accomplish so that I feel like I'm doing something. I feel like I'm gaining traction and credibility. And then there's progress against that because you can't go on a listening tour for 12 weeks and say, I'll check in with you later. You know, when they, they want to see some stuff, right? So helping the leader balance that because it's like some leaders go to one extreme or the other, you know, they jump in too far to the doing and they ignore the relationship part. And some of them try to, well, I'm just going to observe. That's not reality either. So that's also a key difference is we have to help them balance their expectations of themselves and kind of where their natural tendency is to go, you know, as a leader. Yeah. You know, as you say that, one of the things that strikes me is often leaders will say, oh, there's an early win. That's an easy thing to do. And it is deceptive. If it was that easy, your predecessor would have already done it. Mm. So it's probably politically charged. There's probably a time bomb in there. So that's one of the other things that your guidance on just the what is an easy win, if it looks too easy, it's not. You have to be careful. Yeah. I joke just because like I think of this one person that said, well, our, our previous boss never even said good morning to us. That was an easy win. Like just be human. <laughs> <laughs> But in most cases, that's true. That's why the hiring manager is so important in this factor, you know, in this three-legged stool, if you will, or structure. One of the magic questions we ask the hiring managers is, why did you hire this person? And have you told him or her why you've hired them? So after the fact, right? So after they're hired, because then you get to tease out some of that stuff that's now real as opposed to the recruiting process. Just another key difference from the coach's perspective is how you navigate your relationship as the coach with the boss. Managing that boss relationship that you have with the coach and how you help facilitate that relationship between the boss and the coachee is unique and really important as well. I want to bring up one other piece that I think is often underestimated, and that's person already in the company. So you're not onboarding them to the company but you are to a new role. And I'm, I'm working with an organization right now where someone super talented moved into a new role, wasn't onboarded. He's now moving out of that role, not because he lacks the technical ability, but he didn't onboard well and created just a lot of spin that I think wouldn't have been necessary if guided properly through that transition. Yeah, we could talk on a whole other podcast about, you know, internal transitions. And most organizations think, oh my gosh, this is an awesome thing, right? We're promoting someone or we're giving them a, a new rotation and taking them from the field to corporate or vice versa. Of course, we're making those decisions based on the performance and outcomes of, you know, how the person operated and performed in their previous role. And the individual is also coming to the table, and there's actually data that supports this. We're assuming, we're making lots of assumptions. Our first grade teachers told us, you know, what happens when we assume too much. So it's really important to take that step back and help these leaders understand that it's going to be different. You're one going to be in different rooms that you weren't in before, you have access to different information than you had before, your peer relationships will be quite different than they were before. Your boss has different expectations on you. And maybe you knew how to operate in the field. Now you're in corporate or now you're in a regional office or again, vice versa. So 
they operate so differently. When you were in the field, it was really easy to throw arrows at corporate and say that they were, you know, part of the reason you couldn't get things done. Well, now you're one of that. So how do you make that transition? Organizations, if they want to start somewhere with onboarding, you know, even focusing on those internal moves, particularly if they're an organization that prides themselves on, you know, internal promotions, that had to be a really effective way to start with onboarding is to say, gosh, you know, we know we're going to have 10 different promotions from director to VP or VP to SVP this year. How do we build support for those individuals so we don't have examples like you shared? Because it's difficult for internal people to recover from that. It's easier for people who are brought in from the outside to recover. You give them more slack. Internal people, we tend not to give that slack to. Mm-hmm. Well, and the emotional cost and the productivity cost are huge then. Yes. Yeah. They don't have the newness. They don't have that window. That window closes way sooner than it does for an external hire. So that's where this really, this pressure can really come from. And we do see the psychological impact. You know, it's, it really shows up, you know, more around relationships more than anything, especially like if I've been promoted to now be over people that used to be my peers. That's a tricky one. And that that would be one kind of a red flag, you know, for organizations to if you're promoting somebody that now has the reporting relationship that's shifted, you know, they've developed relationships and sometimes friendships, you know, personal relationships. Now they have to move to a different role and really understand what that looks like. You know, they can still be their authentic self, but what changes? Just depending on the situation, lots of nuances to that, but definitely higher risk for people who are internally transitioning. The example I'm seeing now, it's hard to undo that promotion. Yeah. Do you move them back down? How do they save face? How do they emotionally feel like they haven't let down the organization? And it's really tricky to unwind. And yet the organization may genuinely value that person. And you talk about the organization being prepared. The organization made the mistake. They put someone in a wrong role. They didn't give them the support. But the human bears much of the risk. Most people don't think about, so they they promoted me. We assume that means I get to be successful. That's right. We don't assume they promoted me and now it's on me to make sure I'm successful, even if they don't give me the tools. There's a risk with every promotion, yeah. especially in organizations that just aren't as savvy about what is required for the individual to succeed. Agreed. You know, most people don't have that thought process. The organization where Eric and I worked and where we met at that point in time, promotions were a surprise. So everybody gathered together and the president made surprise announcements on a quarterly basis who was getting promoted. And it was seen as positive until we had the first person who did not want that promotion. So it really caused to take a step back. Your family would be there. I'm just thinking of the person who gets engaged at a sporting event and you're on the jumbotron. It was very similar. Most of the time it was okay and it was welcome, but then there's the time when, you know, it wasn't. So, yeah. Yeah. As we wrap up, what's a piece of advice for a leader joining the organization new, an in-place leader getting promoted and for the organization, and then we'll wrap. From an organizational perspective, I think, again, it's recognizing that onboarding is a core component of, again, your talent management cycle. Just as you have recruiting and performance management, you need to have a strategy around onboarding, whatever that might be for you, but that it be purposeful and 
that it is not focused on the process, it is focused on the experience that the new leader is having. For the new leader, I would say is to, you know, ask for the support, know that you need the support and ask for it, whatever that might look like for you. Erica, what would you add? For those leaders who may be even in the interview process, maybe asking what onboarding looks like, you know, maybe even getting out ahead of it might help. You know, once you're in it, it's a little tricky. Maybe asking others, you know, trusted colleagues, you know, how did they do? What's their advice? You know, this is where a couple of questions can really help. Think of three or four questions that you ask everybody, and then that gets you a, a sense of sort of what's happening. So do your own mini gap analysis if you don't have support. As Brenda said, you know, if it's all possible, if HR has resources, or they employ external resources. That's the ideal situation, but there are pieces that you can sort of do it yourself if you need to. If there isn't a structure in your organization to support you, create your own mini board of directors. Know that I need to have the perspective of people who perhaps are above me that isn't my boss so I can have those types of discussions. Uh, you know, a couple of key peers and maybe they're peers from a title perspective, but they're in a different function and they understand how the organization works. And then, you know, maybe a person who was your peer and now you're a level above them. So again, who can comprise that personal board of directors that allows you to have that space? If you don't have a coach or if you don't have a structured approach once inside the organization where you can have other people perspective, hold up that mirror, say, hey, last when you did that, did you really think about the consequences of all of that? Be able to have a plan to go from there. We wrote a couple books and they're easy to read. Uh, Perfect Phrases for Employee Orientation and Onboarding from McGraw-Hill and Talent, a Pocket Toolkit. We wrote these books to be on the ground, practical advice. So if, if that's helpful, we offer that as, as a couple of resources. Thank you. So that leads into the question, how would people find you? Our website is the easiest and best way to get to us. So at connectedactsconsulting.com. It also provides some resources there as well. So in our onboarding tab, we have several resources that you can take away and, and use to build as part of your own strategy if you don't have that and that support. We're also always willing to kick around ideas with other coaches, with organizations, you know, folks at NHR or leaders. So again, we're happy to share some of our knowledge and resources as well. Sometimes people bring us in just to say, tell us what you think about our onboarding. And then we help, you know, just provide some feedback and advice. That's another way that we could help organizations or they could engage with us. Wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and for the work you do for both leaders and organizations that these transitions are as effective as possible. Thank you so much. It was really great. Really appreciate it. We're pretty passionate about this topic, so we appreciate you uh, bringing it forward and asking us to participate. (music) 